What's up guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John and this is r slash pro revenge. Didn't get a video up yesterday. Had to make a trip over to uh, Baltimore. <laughs> Spent all day in Baltimore as a matter of fact. We were out of the house for like almost 15 hours. So needless to say, didn't get too much of a video done. But anyway, we're back today and uh, let's get to it. When I wrote my dad's obituary, I didn't mention my mom and exposed her years of abuse and neglect. My dad died December 1st, 2022. He briefly lived with me before his passing after a long stint of being chronically ill for the past 15 plus years. As his health declined, he relied more and more on my mom for things. Prior to this, she was never a great person and fully took advantage of his disability and mobility issues as he declined. For years, she claimed to be separated and divorced, talking to other men on the internet. She made claims many times she was going to move away and marry someone else. In addition, she took advantage of him financially. We tried every legal avenue we could find to have her kicked out, arrested, or force her out because those attempts were met with responses that it was a civil matter and there was nothing that could be done. He made me durable power of attorney and added me to all his accounts. This is a small portion of her abuse, but I promise her actions were no less than neglectful and exploitive. I'd tried for years to get my dad to move in with me, but he wasn't leaving the house he worked so hard to pay for. I brought him home on hospice the day after Thanksgiving and made sure his final days were the best they could be. After meeting with the funeral home to carry out his final wishes, I was told they required consent from my mother to allow me to cremate him. It was no surprise she initially told me no and only agreed after I allowed her to keep the Social Security survivor benefits, which would have been hers anyway. I wrote his obituary and left her out of it. There was not a single word or mention he'd ever been married or had a spouse. I didn't feel she deserved to be recognized or viewed as a grieving widow when she spent their marriage as a crappy spouse in person. She lost her mind and there were many questions from friends and family alike. I've spent years in therapy working through maternal narcissistic abuse and believe if she didn't want me to talk about it, she shouldn't have done it. When people asked about it, I was honest about the years of abuse my father and I endured from her. I've completely ruined the public image and victim complex she spent years creating. I might be the villain and a-hole in this scenario, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Well, OP, sorry for your loss. I uh, I can't even imagine how it feels. I mean, I know how it feels to lose a parent, but to lose a parent and on top of that, the one that's left is the one that, you know, didn't treat you right, didn't treat your dad right, just didn't get along with, whatever the case. As far as any kind of revenge, I don't know. I'm not generally that kind of person. I probably just would have left everything alone. I probably would have, you know, fought for my dad while he was alive. Uh, afterwards, you know... It is what it is. I just, my, my thing is usually cut contact if I need to and just let everything just go by the wayside and move on with my life. But I can definitely understand the, the urge to do these things because people suck. Yeah. <laughs> An attorney's dream case, my parents versus the bank. In 1973, my parents had enough money to build a little ranch house in the country. The small bank in town approved the mortgage and the bank signed the contract to give Bob the money to build the house. Bob, as it turns out, was overbooking himself all over town, leaving his clueless minions to do the actual work. The build took longer and longer, with more and more work having to be ripped out and redone. We're not talking about using the wrong color paint or nailing up some wonky trim here and there. The architect forgot to fully erase a line on the blueprints and the framers built a wall through the bathtub. My mother was told, don't put anything heavy in the kitchen cabinets because they're attached to the drywall, not the studs. Using a few roofing nails through the back of each cabinet. The garage door opening was framed into the living room instead of towards the driveway and so on. When the bank's representative showed up for the final inspection, my parents met him at the front yard and refused to sign off on Bob's work. 
Then a representative became angry, as the bank had paid Bob a lot of money. He strode to the front door and pulled on the doorknob, whereupon the entire door, casing included, fell on him. It had simply been wedged, not nailed into place. The bank called Bob, who finally showed up to supervise the work himself. The only problem was that Bob wasn't any better at building a house than his minions were. My parents still refused to sign off on the house. My mother was a stay-at-home mom in a nasty rental with two tiny children while my dad was working two jobs while this was going on. Throughout the entire process, the bank and Bob treated them very poorly, bullying my mom and lying to my dad. What should have been an exciting time for my parents was ruined. My mom cried a lot and dad got depressed. Finally, the bank threatened my parents with foreclosure and Bob threatened to sue my parents for breach of contract because the bank refused to pay him any more money. So my exhausted parents went to an attorney and gave him the rundown. Plumbing, electrical, tiling issues, the whole sorry mess. My parents were scared. All they had was their small down payment savings, so that this became a lengthy court battle the bank and Bob would win. The attorney, Tom, was kind, but my dad said he could tell that he and Mom were doomed from Tom's facial expressions as he sorted through the paperwork. Then, abruptly, Tom smiled. Let's get everyone together for a meeting, he told my parents, tomorrow. So my parents, Tom, the bank's representative, the bank's attorney, Bob, and Bob's attorney met at the bank. Tom didn't give anyone else time to begin. He said, well, my clients have decided that they no longer want this house. Please remove it. Everyone else started to laugh. Remove it? Have you lost your mind? Tom, in a sweeping theatrical gesture, placed a deed on the table. My clients own the land the house is sitting on outright. They no longer want the house. Get the house off my client's land. Bob's attorney stared at the deed and then turned to stare at Bob. You build a house on land you don't own? Bob nodded. The bank's attorney started yelling at the bank's representative. You didn't finance the land the house is on? The representative stammered, uh, no. Tom said firmly, as I said, gentlemen, you're trespassing on my client's land. I expect the house to be removed and the land returned to its original state at once. My dad said he'll remember the blank looks everyone on the other side of the table passed to one another for his whole life. Sure, the bank could foreclose on a house that wouldn't exist by the end of the week with no way to recoup any money. They didn't even own the land it was on. Bob was out the 50% he paid out of pocket, plus he was on the hook for tearing down the house and removing it. On top of that, the bank would undoubtedly want him to repay the initial 50% they'd given him. Could they have gone after my parents? Sure. A foreclosure would have meant bad credit for my parents moving forward. They might lose their down payment. But to sign off on the house in its condition at that time would have meant thousands and thousands of dollars in cash to replace or repair anything from the roof to the basement before the house could safely be lived in. The bank knew my parents didn't have that kind of money. They're the ones who approved the mortgage. Suddenly, my parents were good people. It was all such a misunderstanding, and the bank and Bob couldn't do enough for them. The house was brought in line with the original blueprints and specifications immediately, at no extra cost to my parents, but at a considerable cost to Bob. My parents signed the mortgage. Bob got the rest of his money, and just about broke even on the build. The bank's representative, he was fired. And Tom, attorney extraordinaire, got a stinging tale of triumphs to recall to fellow attorneys for the rest of his life. Just some notes. Before you question this tale, please remember that 1973 was 50 years ago. Banks did things differently back then. Smaller rural banks in particular were not run the same way the bigger city banks were. There were far fewer federal regulations, and in a small community, people didn't always follow them. I'm pretty sure they don't always follow them now. Yes, they built a wall through the bathtub. No, I'm not making that up. I even left out how a plumber left his lunch bag on a partially built kitchen cabinet, but the cabinet maker didn't feel it was his job to move the bag, so he left it there and built the rest of the cabinet around it. Oh my god. I don't know where Bob found these people, but they were gems. Every one of them. I must admit that I'm immensely surprised at the traction this story's gotten. 
The bank and Bob put together very poorly written and pretty much unenforceable contracts. My parents' attorney figured this out and the bank and Bob had to back off. I thought it was interesting, but surely not the one and only time this happened. Aren't contracts being written all the time by clueless people? Is this really that unique? I guess we should be glad it is. Thanks for reading. Holy cow, OP. I, can't e I don't even know where to begin. So, I've worked around construction pretty much my whole life. I've run into guys like this who run these... They're, they're pretty much fly-by-night type guys. Like, sure, they'll stay through the whole job and make sure it's done or complete. The problem is they're not actually on site. They don't have a good representative for their company on site to make sure things are being done according to the plans, the specifications, local codes, national codes, or just common sense. Even when I was just a simple carpenter, I wasn't really in charge of anything. I'm looking at the blueprints and I'm starting to frame walls. If I see that a wall is going to go through a bathtub area, then I stop immediately <laughs> and I ask questions. If nobody on site can help me, I call the boss. If the boss can't help me, then somebody better call that architect or engineer. There's just so much wrong with this that it's unbelievable. Uh, it sounded like Bob and the bank representative were in some sort of cahoots together, so that wouldn't shock me a bit. And as far as the designer forgetting to erase a line, th there's more to this. I'm telling you, there's a lot of incompetencies all the way around in this story, so... Uh, well, good for your parents and that lawyer uh, for getting this all sorted out and making your parents whole again. So, wow. Just amazing. A lawyer's per revenge on a wife beater. Let's call him Joe. I have to call him something. The man I ruined. But I can't call him by his real name, so we'll call him Joe. Joe was a wife beater. I was hired by Joe's brother-in-law, the brother of the wife that Joe beat. My client was also Joe's ex-business partner. Aside from the whole you beat up my sister thing, my client had another beef with Joe. A serious business beef. My client took it to court and gave me the case to handle. Joe and his lawyers fought me long and hard. Joe was confident that his BS and outright perjury would carry the day. It had always worked before. His BS and his fists had won him a good settlement with his ex-wife, free of child support. So maybe he thought that threats and lies would carry the day once more. But he was wrong. And after the trial, I had a judgment against him. A big judgment. Far bigger than he could pay. Joe twisted and he turned and he shimmied and he shaked. But after a while I'd located and taken all his assets. It was easy really. Joe had no thought of consequences. So he didn't lawyer up until it was too late. If one of my clients ever sues you, you're in trouble because my clients lawyer up before they even know your name. But Joe didn't lawyer up until the process server threw the papers at his feet. And by then, it was far too late. I went through Joe's assets like a meat grinder. And after a while Joe had but one property left. A house, and he clung to that house, for it was rented out, and his sole source of income. Joe lived in the unfinished basement, and he survived on what the upstairs tenant paid him. He cashed their rent checks at payday loan places, paying hefty fees, but it was worth it because he knew that I'd garnish any bank account that he opened. Joe managed to hide his rental place from me for a while because he owned it through a numbered company, but my investigator found him one day and followed him home. Joe self-repped his way through the next stage, which took a couple years, while I punctured his corporate veils and his sad efforts at a fraudulent conveyance. But in the end, I had his last house. The house where he lived in the unfinished basement. Joe stepped out one day to get a pack of cigarettes, and when he came back, the sheriff had changed the locks. Can my client at least live in the basement? Joe's lawyer said to me. Pro bono, because by this point, Joe had nothing to pay lawyers. I knew the pro bono guy. He practiced law nearby. As I was talking to him, I could see Pro Bono Guy's office window across the parking lot from my office tower window. Ask the purchaser, I said. It's out of my hands. And it was. I told Joe's lawyer that the new owner, a nominee of one of my client's employees, wouldn't let him back into his crappy basement apartment. 
Joe, a man who had owned this and that here and there all over town, had just lost the last thing he owned on earth, except for his truck. He still had his truck left. Joe's truck was this big-ass gas-guzzling beast that he drove around in. It was too old and too frail to be worth seizing, so I let Joe keep it. And I was glad I did that, because now the truck was where Joe slept, until he made a mistake and lost his truck too. He lost his truck the day I got a phone call from the tenants at the house that Joe used to own. He came back and parked his truck across the driveway, the tenant said, adding that Joe had gone nuts. He'd parked his truck there in a rage, out of spite, and then walked into town saying he'd be back later that day to sleep in his truck. Can he get around the truck, I asked? The tenant could not. The driveway was blocked. I called one of the tow truck guys that I used to defend back in my criminal lawyer days, and in a couple hours that truck was gone, and parked somewhere else. Somewhere special, in accordance with my specific instructions. My guy wants his truck back, the pro bono lawyer said the next day when he called me. Not happening, I said. I stood in my office 15 floors above the parking lot and looked down where I imagined my pro bono counterpart was standing in his office, facing the same lot. But you have no right to the truck, he said. He has no right to block a man's driveway, I replied. It was terrible, really, standing up high, pronouncing words that took away a man's final assets, the last thing he owned on earth. I imagine that this must be what God feels like, before he strips a man of everything and sends him to hell. Are you really going to make me go to court over this, said pro bono guy. Do what you got to do, I said, and pro bono guy said his client was coming in the next day to sign an affidavit, and then they were going to court to get the truck back. But I was unconcerned. The next day was bright and the sun was shining, and it was 9 a.m. as I looked out the window and sipped my coffee. My phone rang. I picked up. It was pro bono man. Why didn't you tell me that Joe's truck was parked right outside my office? His, <laughs> His voice was tight and I could tell that he must have been shaking with anger. Is that so? I said, staring out at Joe's truck parked 15 stories below me. How careless of my bailiff to leave the truck where your client could easily take it back. I really must speak to him. Very funny. My client's going to sue. Oh no he isn't. He's going to get in that truck and drive away right now. I told my tow guy to fill up the tank, and he gave it an oil change too, gratis. Tell your client to get in his truck and drive off, and that if I ever see his truck again, I'll seize it to satisfy the rest of my client's judgment. Pro bono guy tried to argue, but I was firm. Then I put the phone down and picked up my coffee. A few minutes later, Joe walked out of his lawyer's office and over to his truck. As he walked, I saw that there was no longer a bounce to his step. The joy had gone out of him. Joe wasn't the first guy I ruined, and he won't be the last, but he's the only one whose final ruin I witnessed from on high. From my office, and it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life, watching a man walk to his truck knowing that I had stripped him of everything else he had, and that he owed his possession to his last asset, his truck, to my mercy. Joe drove away, his big-ass ancient truck spilling clouds of smoke from the exhaust. I was pretty sure I'd never hear from him again, and I never did. What a saga! Holy cow, this is one lawyer that I really would never want to get on the bad side of. I've known a few vicious attorneys in my day. This guy takes it to a whole other level. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the stories today. And if you did, you know what to do. All right, till the next one, we'll see you.